Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hi, Charmaine. So excited to have you on The Brave Show. You are a Forbes 30 under 30. You're a female founder tackling enterprise SaaS. And you have an interesting story around how you pushed up your company to where you are today as a serial founder. And so I'm excited to share your story today. Charmaine, please introduce yourself professionally to everybody here. Hi everyone, I'm Shamin. I'm the founder and CEO of QuickDesk. So what we do at QuickDesk is really using the blend of education and technology to really help businesses, sales professionals, marketing professionals to drive more sales. Awesome, Shamin. So how did you first start becoming a founder? Like when did the entrepreneurial bug first bite you? The entrepreneur bite me when I was 14 years old. So when I was 14, thankfully I was in a school whereby we could actually, every class in my school became a company. And we were selling, I'm not sure if you guys know, like design technology, DNT and like home econs product. So I was a home econs rep and I got the opportunity to really be sort of that CEO of that little project. But it really got me excited. Oh wow, we could make a quiche and like sell $800 in like 30 minutes. After that trade away, I came home, I told my dad, I was, hey daddy, I want to sell cheesecake. And my dad was like against it. But I guess since then, the fire of entrepreneurship has started. Wow, amazing. And what's interesting is that we've talked about a little bit was that you went to university and very quickly you actually started building your first business actually. Could you share more about your first company that you built? Yeah, so I guess I've always been very inspired by entrepreneurs speaking on stage and I was like, one day I want to be like them. When I was 20 years old, I remember running an entrepreneurship bootcamp in Sweden. So I was part of this program called NUS Overseas College. In that program itself, I actually spoke to this 17-year-old boy and I said, hey, you know, what are you doing now? And he said, oh, I'm running a mobile apps company. We are making about a million a year. Then that bug came back and said like, hey, if he's running his business at 17, what are you waiting for? When I turned 21 that year, I said, I'm becoming an adult. I need to do something different. Just then, I couldn't use my iPhone and my iPad out in the cold. Couldn't find a solution around it. I said, hey, what about building a glove that can allow you to use your iPhone, your iPad out in the cold? So he started as an idea. I meant to sell to all my friends in Sweden. It's like, hey guys, it's minus 20 degrees Celsius. It's really cold, right? Isn't it very challenging to swipe your phone with your nose? That should be a better solution. I have a solution for you guys. What about having these gloves that is conductive, that you can still use your phone while you're out in the cold? And many of them were very intrigued and excited by the idea. And they said like, okay, if you build it, I buy from you. So with a vote of confidence, I decided to start a business. What I did was I flew straight to Turkey, which had a textile fair. And I went to talk to all the manufacturers to learn about textiles. I got my friends to join me in this project, be it in design, manufacturing, just to make these gloves come alive. So starting out when I turned 21, I started East Gloves, which is winter gloves for touchscreen devices. Wait, you got to tell me, how old were you again here? 21. 21 then, when you yeah. first started that. Yes. Wow. Okay, and then you flew to Turkey just to do that because you were inspired by this 17-year-old. Okay, that's kind of bonkers a little bit because I think, I guess at 21, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't doing any of that. 
And what was it like flying out to Turkey to learn textiles and all this stuff? What was it like building out this first venture on your own? That was quite crazy. I remember meeting a few Singaporeans in Turkey and they're like, are you here alone? Yeah, I'm here alone. What's wrong? It's so dangerous, Charmaine. I think I'm fine. I'm quite protected. Like, I think God is protecting me. The experience that was crazy, as you said, the word bongers, it's really, I went to textile fairs and I had to pretend to be this, oh, you know, I manufacture apparel. I'd like to learn more about your yarns, your threads. And I had none. <laughs> I was literally like smoking my way through. So there were a lot of fear in me. Uh, just carry on because I only had one objective. Within that three days of trip fair, I need to learn everything of textiles from yarns making to weaving to knitting, ensuring that by the time I end the trip fair, I've learned enough to know how to build my own gloves. So you pretty much started this when you were a junior in college? Third year uni. Okay. So what was it like being a student founder, I guess, while doing classes on one side? And then you're like one of the few bonkers people. Because back in 2011, it wasn't that popular to be a founder as well. Because I remember that time, very few people who were out trying to be a founder as well. It was pretty uncool. So I'm just kind of curious how that felt. I guess when I was in NUS Overseas College, I would say that I'm very blessed. My cohort, there's 10 of us. Out of 10 of us, it became entrepreneurs. I see. So within this subgroup, it was cool. The majority is entrepreneurs. I think now I've got six or seven are still entrepreneurs. So it didn't felt like I was the oddball. And also the second thing was, the moment I came back to Singapore, I did feel out of place for a while. For a while because what I did then was, so at that year, I was very blessed and how it started. NOC house in NUS. So I signed up for it and said I was staying in N house. So most people there are entrepreneurial. Conversations were really around like, oh, I'm gonna run this business. How do I go about running it? It didn't felt like I was alone in this journey. But when I go to school, oh no, I'm like one year behind everyone. I don't have any close friends to study with anymore. That part was quite awkward. But the interesting thing was this I became a full time entrepreneur, part time student my grades got better because I just became super focused to make sure I score my grades and keep the promise my parents to get a degree. <laughs> I like that. So there you are and obviously you're focused on building out and you get it out to market and you distribute it. But at some point, you decide to make a decision to transition from textiles to enterprises. So what was that transition like for you? you know, a lot of founders, obviously, they start out as student founders and they say, there's so much energy to build and then they make a decision to build something else. So what was that transition like for you? I guess the thankful thing, I think there were a few gratefulness. It's um, because I was juggling school and entrepreneurship. I wrote into the dean and I said, hey, I cannot complete in half a year. So I split my six modules into two semesters. So I only had to complete three modules per semester. The only challenging part at a point in time was the fact that gloves are international product. I manufacture in China. I follow China time zone for manufacturing. I sell to North America, North Europe, Mongolia, Japan. So these are countries around the globe. I literally had no sleep. So I guess the transition was really knowing how to manage my time across different time zones. So my health got affected. I became very unproductive. There was this one day I went TCM and the TCM said, Hey, Charmaine, you're like 22, but your body is like 40 years old. Yeah, so I guess really learning how to manage my time and therefore my health was something I need to learn about. And there you are, you keep pushing on for the next basically three years, building up. And so at some point, you decided to build up to a certain point and then you decided to say, okay, I want to do my next big thing, whatever that is, which is beginnings of where you are today at Quick Desk. So what was that ending one chapter, starting a new chapter? What was that like? For me, 
how it came about was my first company was venture backed. And I think I'm very thankful for having a VC who has an entrepreneurial mindset. So my investor was Leslie from Red Dot Ventures and he's also an entrepreneur before. He always understood what it means to be an entrepreneur. At that year, they were asking me to study all the technology in ASTAR and see what technology I could build a product from. I told Leslie Street, I'm a kind of person whereby it's very hard for you to give me a technology and I build a product out of it. It's easier for me to build a product out of a problem I believe in. It needs to be a problem that is significant enough for me to want to solve it. And so because of that, it's not about the sexiness of a product that matter. It's about the problem that I want to solve. So there were three significant turning points. First was when I look back and I ask myself, hey, you know, I've been running startup for three years now. If there was one thing that I would like to do differently, what would that be? The answer was sales. Because honestly speaking, I think East Glove wouldn't have to end if our sales numbers were good. We could have evolved to something else. But simply because the sales numbers were not good enough, we had to evolve and pivot. The second thing that I look around me, so there's always this one theory, out of 10 startups, 9 died. I really see it with my own eyes. So we were incubated in an entrepreneurship space. So you have different startups in this little bungalow. Every quarter you see startups leaving. And then I keep wondering like, what is that one reason why all these startups are leaving? Why can't they stay? Why are they not surviving? When I dig deeper, I realized the fundamental thing was none of them are really focusing on revenue. And if you do not have enough revenue, it's very hard to move on. I said, hey, you know, sales and revenue is so important. Now, the third thing that came about with me was this. East Gloves was a company that was seasonal. So we could only make sales every summer because summer is the period where B2B buy for winter. There are a lot of months where you don't have money and then there are months you make money. A business cannot be like that. It's very unsustainable. So I need a product that it's resistant to any seasons and also something that I do not want to rewind back again and restart. So because of these three things, the biggest problem and the most significant thing is actually sales. The whole idea was how do I build a platform to really help businesses drive sales? The first idea that came about was online sales training in 2013 because I believe in education. La. School teach marketing, school teach branding, school teach consulting. Why sales school don't teach sales? Ah? Very funny, right? And sales is such an important professional skill. What about doing an online sales training program that allows for that? But I was just too early in the market. Nobody's going to pay for online sales training in 2013. I think the mission has always been the same, which is how to use the blend of education and technology to drive sales. So then the opportunity came to build a telemarketing system with do not call this screening agent integrated within it. And that's how I kickstarted our product, QuickDesk. There you are entering this second venture with those three learnings that you had. Let's not build a company that's seasonal. Let's build something that has a better shot at success in that sense than what you see out there and very focused on revenue. As you started building out this second company, which is where you're at now, QuickDesk, what would you say some things that you learned along the way? Because this is also a very different industry, which is enterprise SaaS. So it's very different from textiles and turkey and seasonal. So what were some things that you learned along the way personally? Yeah, I think the first thing that I've learned, it's really, there are three significant points that really happened. The most impressionable one was in 2018 when the company almost collapsed. Never ever forget the why you started in the first place and never ever like go back on your principles. My origin story is really all about helping businesses to drive more sales. But along the way, when we became very aggressive in sales, the way I motivate my sales team is that, okay, whatever that brings in the sale, just take it. 
But not everybody is meant to be sold to. To me, I will figure a way out to make it a right fit. And that was because I was absorbed into the whole idea of just keep making more money. So I guess the learning lesson was we started this business because we wanted to help businesses to drive sales with technology and help those that we believe we can help. So that's one. Second thing, it's really about faith. I would say faith because I can tell you there were a lot of times I really wanted to give up. Tech was this like monster to me. And it's such a monster because when I still remember in year one, because I'm a statistics major, so we had to learn like Java. And Java was such a crazy thing, you know, like it's binary, one, zero, one, zero. My brain thinks in very creative mode. And I was so fearful of this programming thing. I told all my friends, I will never run a software company. Now, so how did I end up in software? Was really because I wanted a product that is a lot more agile because I didn't like hardware business in the sense that I need to throw inventory sometimes or like I need to discard things. Software business, you can constantly innovate and constantly be agile. Whenever I felt very hopeless, I feel very helpless, I fear the tech, I realize things don't progress. I just get into this circular loop. The fear just circulates itself. Therefore, I think if there's any learning thing, is just keep believing that you can learn it. Do not lose hope that you can learn it. And then the third thing I say it's very significant, it's being okay to not be okay. <laughs> I know it sounds very profound here, but there are a lot of times I'm not okay, but I'm also afraid of being vulnerable to my team. And they feel it. Shami, you know what you say versus what you feel versus what you do, a bit different. I never really understood until like later in the years, I realized that what she meant is that I'm not very aligned. So these days, if I'm not okay about something, I'm just very open and talk about it. Like, hey, we are facing this challenge. We are facing this problem. Let's solve it together. And an entrepreneur don't have to think that the problem is your own. We can solve it as a team. Yeah, so I guess these were the three key takeaways. And what's interesting is that while you're doing all these reflections, you're also helping lots of other companies with their own sales and revenue challenges as well. And obviously, you see a lot of them struggling. You see a lot of them doing well. How do you think about partnering or helping them with their own journey as well from your perspective? Now, the approach is very different. Is Can you please tell me a bit more about your business model? What do you sell? What are your sales and marketing processes like? It's very consultative. And how I train my sales guys is also know your clients first before selling to them. And the best sales is not by selling to them, it's by seeing how you can help them. We start deep diving into understanding their business struggles. Some of them became very good friends of mine, whereby I don't only journey with them and having them think of my solution, but also journey with them in their whole entrepreneurial or business leadership journey. That came about from this whole fact-finding phase in our sales process. Yeah, so how do I help them? I think there's three things. Those who became friends, I sometimes become their cheerleader. Really just giving them a verse, a quote to cheer them up. There are those, of course, from a very professional angle, I will give them solutions as to, hey, you know, like our other clients have benefited from this in this way. You want to consider it. One thing that I always tell my guys about what quick test DNA is, is that we are a collaborative sales solution. Don't see our clients as our clients. They are actually people partnering with us on a journey. And... Obviously, you're seeing a lot of reflections around sales, both good and bad. What would you say differentiates better versus worse sales from your own perspective, which you're kind of talking about, but also from your clients? So I would say that my own reflections, it's really, when we started becoming quite crazy in like really driving a lot of sales, to me, success was just bringing more money, like revenue. Today, the, the matrix I track is no longer just the revenue per client, but the lifetime value per client. Because I realized what is more important for sales is actually keeping the customer. 
So the question I have now when I ask a customer and stick out a customer is, how sustainable is it? And how scalable is this? Can I scale with this customer or not? Even in qualifying, I look for growth-oriented kind of businesses. Those that can grow and we can grow with them. Therefore, if I'll put the flip side, sales that maybe I will not follow after is pure opportunistic sales. They just see the very short term. Okay, I think you need this now. I just promote to you, but I don't really care for you in the long run. Or the kind of salespeople that sometimes not aligned with, it's salespeople who just think about the commissions without thinking about how they can value add to the customer. As long as we are not constantly value adding, we will lose them. And there was one talk that I went to in 2019 that really, it hit me really hard. So we were playing this thing called the money game. The event is called Money and You. And in the money game, any money made without value adding is like stealing. It was a really big statement because it's true. If you really want to make money, make it with the right values and really value add. That's the whole purpose of currency. Yeah, exchange of value. Sales without value add is stealing. Awesome. Love that. So starting to turn the page here a little bit here is, could you share with us a time that you have been brave? A time that I have been brave was the story when I found my first co-founder. So I had to manufacture the gloves and I can't speak Chinese. So I had to find somebody who was working in China to do the like speaking to the suppliers and manufacturers. But the moment I arrived in China to work with him to talk to the manufacturer, I lost my luggage. And I had to meet all the factories the very next day. Very thankfully, the NUS Overseas College Committee is very good. So all the girls came together and said, okay, Hishami, we piece up your wardrobe. At that point in time, all I could think about is really standing up and being very confident about, yeah, I'm a small business right now, but you should give me the MOQ I need. That's when my first test of bravery happened because I just need to make sure the gloves are manufactured in the quantity we need because we don't have enough money. I can't do beyond 500 gloves. So that was the first. And I guess for quick desk, I have zero tech knowledge. I can't code for nuts. I went to School of Computing. They had this developer's program. It's called CS3216, Software Engineering for Computer Science Students. So I went there with this online sales training platform. I'm not going to stand out, right? Because I know nuts about programming. I'm not going to speak their language. So what I did was I printed a name card. It's like a two-sided name card with a shape of a computer because I want to stand out from the rest. My prototype was made using PowerPoint slides. This is how online sales training platform is. This is how you change the world. We will all be the next computer for everyone. Yeah, it was quite crazy because I literally had to come out of my comfort zone and sell myself, sell my idea and have the developers believe in me. And thankfully, I found a lot of developers who kickstarted QuickTest. Amazing. And obviously, we talk a lot about fear, these like experiences that you just mentioned over here. And I think at the start of the conversation, you mentioned a big phrase, which is about faith over fear. is a big part about who you are and about how you're able to push through the fear. Could you share a little bit more about what that means to you? Yeah, innately, I'm always a very fearful person. I fear failure. I fear rejection. I fear aloneness. I fear not being able to be at my best. And I also suffer from something called the imposter syndrome, which I believe is not uncommon to a lot of entrepreneurs. Even though the world may say like, hey, Shami, you're doing great. But honestly speaking, there's really that inner demon in me that sometimes you wish to shut their voice, but their voice is just there. (laughs) As entrepreneurs, we are building the future. You are building things that you cannot see right now. But you have to have confidence and assurance that whatever you believe in the future will happen. And that's faith. Believe that you can make it happen. So more than 80% of the time, I wanted to give up. It's only that 20% of the time that I could talk to myself and say, just have faith. You'll work out. You'll work out. Yeah. And I mean, I thank God for my faith in Him and that He really showed me that this is the path for me. 
2013, I drew out a blueprint about online sales training platform, connecting salespeople, bring salespeople the right online tools, getting them from traditional digital sales, automating certain sales processes. And these were all I dreamt about in 2013. And I went to tell a lot of people and they said, hey, this is like five businesses in one. It's impossible to do it. But down the road, five years later, it all turned out well. I started doing education for digital sales. I'm building automation for communications to drive better sales productivity. And if there's one thing that really led me to where I am today, I don't think I'm smarter than anybody else. I personally think I'm very ordinary. But the only thing that makes me a bit different is faith and perseverance to push on to make what I cannot see now happen. So I guess that's something I hope the listeners can, whoever who's an entrepreneur wannabe or an entrepreneur who's, hey, you know, this is just too tough and I will throw the wet blanket, have faith. So let's kind of like bifurcate that. So one is the fear side, which you acknowledge the reality of and obviously how you push through that. So you talk about imposter syndrome and kind of like that's the demon that you have. How common do you think that is? Because you volunteer at an entrepreneur's organization and you also hang out with so many founders since then at NOC. And I'm also part of a lot of founder circles as well. So I'm just kind of curious from your take, how common do you think that is and why? I guess... Maybe I don't want to be gender specific here, but I feel that imposter syndrome exists a lot more in females than male, in my observation. It happens in a certain percentage. I wouldn't say everybody has that. I know of a lot of entrepreneurs who are then confident they can make things happen. But of course, you have this other group. Mm, I'll do my best for you. So there's two different kind of responses we normally get. But I guess if there's one thing that I've observed, it's over time, people grow out of it. Even for myself, I grew out of it. And even like yesterday, I was giving a talk at Careers Unmasked. And the speakers are like managing director of Food Panda, Ubisoft, and the minister. And I was thinking to myself, like, Shats, why am I here in the first place? I'm so small. They are so big. Oh no, can I see them? Why did I say yes? All these little inner voices going through my head. And I was like, maybe I should tell them I'm sick now. <laughs> I really wanted to give up. But then you can't give up. You already committed to say that I'll be there. If I cannot give up, then the only thing I could do is I better do the best out of what I could to do the best I can to make the best positive impact for them. And every minute or every second spent thinking about I'm too small, that brain cell dies. So might as well grow the other brain cells that say, hey, I really want the value add. <laughs> you observe that people grow out of it and that you yourself have grown out of it. So what factors contribute to growing out of it from your perspective? The grow out of it means being able to manage it. I think that's what I mean by grow out of it. I think there were a few key highlights that happened. When my company almost died, I mean, I entered depression and I couldn't deal with a lot of things. And to me, like ending life is an easier option. <laughs> Somehow or another, it didn't happen. And in that whole journey of seeking self and finding myself and really surrendering in God, I said that, you know, I, I just want to do my life the best I could for Him. La. And in that whole episode, the few things that stood out was one, when I went to Myanmar, I had a dream to build an orphanage. So I took a leap of faith. I just flew straight to Myanmar, <laughs> knowing nuts, wanting to help the kids. During that period of time, when I saw that the kids had really nothing, but yet they had so much love and hope, why should I even feel small by myself? Honestly, I think being a Singaporean itself, we are already very blessed. Blessed with the opportunity to start our business, blessed with funding, blessed with good education. So whenever like, the imposter syndrome hit in just like yesterday, I would just have to tell myself, hey, Charmaine, I'm already very blessed. Be thankful. Every minute spent being negative, which is being imposter syndrome of me, it's every minute lost from being positive. So choose positive. So I guess that's really how 
I grow out of it by managing it. Awareness is the first thing. So when those little voice comes in, okay, shit, it's here. Then the next voice had to come in and I stopped it. Choosing positive and seeing so much love in Myanmar and the kids and then seeing that in contrast to your own company struggling, you were struggling, and then you saw that versus other people's struggles. It's tough. So now that you've also gotten a chance to also hang out with other founders who are also going through similar struggles as well, and now that you've gotten a chance to share your journey with them and be supportive with them and also you're supporting them at EO, that structure, how would you recommend... I guess, friends or peers or founders to be supportive to founders who are struggling with their company, either because the company is a wind down or the company is struggling or going through a growth time or a crisis. How would you advise people to support founders? I guess maybe I'll share how I benefited from EO. So EO, I mean, the chapters globally and I'm part of a forum. The culture is like a family that we share our highest highs and our lowest low. And the first thing that we always remind each other is trust and respect and not just out means like don't judge we are still entrepreneurs we struggle too and I think not judging it but always showing our love and care for the other and just being there for them everybody needs help differently some people need help by listening some people need help by advice some people need help by coaching everyone is different but whichever entrepreneurs that are struggling always find a community that you can find trust respect for and you know very clearly that they don't judge you once that is cleared, be willing to be vulnerable. Be willing to dig deep. Because a lot of times, problems exist, there are symptoms. There could be a deeper root of problem. If we want to also be able to help somebody else, I think we need to not just see the surface. I think seeking to understand first and seeking to be there is the first fundamental, most important thing. And always seek to help from a place of love. Be there. And people feel it. I remember, I always tell my forum, I said, hey, even though every time I'm down, I know they are there. I know they could be the sounding board. They couldn't give me the answer. But by talking to them itself, sometimes I find the answers myself. And also like really understanding what's the best way to help that person by understanding their personality. Thank you so much, Charmaine, for sharing self-awareness, actually, <laughs> and therefore sharing the reflections that came out of that self-work. I'd love to paraphrase, I think, the three big themes that I got out of this discussion. First of all, thank you so much for sharing how you began as a student founder, as a third year, and how you were able to find your tribe where you were the majority and felt cool being a founder. Somehow managed to keep that fire going, even though you became the minority back in school and managed to push on to finish academics as well as push on with the company and doing some crazy things like flying off to Turkey and pretending that you were legit you know, textiles, building out that glove company. And then using those learnings to then go off to build your second company, which is QuickDex today, and your learnings around kind of company you want to build, taking those lessons moving forward. The second, of course, thank you so much for quickly exhibiting your domain expertise in sales, both the personal as well as the industry dimension. Obviously, personally, from what you learned about making sure that you sell on a more consultative way instead of a more product-oriented way over time, yet also making sure to also sell on the way where you're targeting the customers that fit your product and that you want to build for them rather than taking on anybody who could potentially be a customer. And then going on to talk about saying that sales without video ad is effectively stealing. Some really good sales lessons that you shared. 
And lastly, I think thank you so much for sharing so much around what you said at the start of the conversation, which is uh, faithful fear, which is about fighting the inner demon, imposter syndrome, the reluctance to step forward, putting it all together in terms of how you see not just yourself, but also other founders grow and mature over time because of their own self-work, but also due to support and peer groups like EO, as well as friends and family. The beautiful moment of you going out to Myanmar during the company's potential failure and being able to contrast your own struggle And I want to say thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts over the years with everyone today. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyao.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.